0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Stocks for Beginners Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. Today, I wanted to share with you an episode of the Bankadelic podcast with Lou Carlozo, who's a contributor to the Wall Street Journal, editor-in-chief of Quoted, founder and CEO of Karma Productions Worldwide, creative polymath, and like me, a refugee from the humanities who somehow ended up communicating about finance. Lou kindly invited me onto his podcast, and you may enjoy the change of pace and Lou's uncompromising clarity. If you're into banking and finance, have a listen to Bankadelic. Lou's a fun host who leads engaging interviews with his expert guests. In this episode, we talked about John Keats, investing, and dealing with the bear market. And rest assured, no romantic poetry was harmed in the making of this episode.
0: Summertime and the living is easy, but investing these days? Not so much, especially in a bear market. Enter one of Australia's most popular podcasters to give us a little bit of common sense and solid ground to get us through the months ahead. Phil Muscatello here on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozzo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic! The colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate, and investigate actionable insights, unscripted banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. Thanks for tuning into Bankadelic, part of the NMD Plus family of podcasts based in London, and if you think that's Fall Ye Yanks, we're going to go even further afield. Our guest today, Phil Muscatello, based in Sydney, Australia, Phil is the creator and host of Stocks for Beginners. For Phil, the podcast has become as much a journey in educating himself as educating his listeners and fans. With a background in media production, arts, and music, as well as radio, Phil holds a BA in communications from the University of Technology, Sydney. Phil, welcome to Bankadelic.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Lou. And perhaps I should be very Aussie and say, G'day. It's a (laughs) pleasure to be here.
0: (laughs) One of the things that fascinated me And why I thought I have to have you on this podcast, aside from the fact that you and I are both refugees from the arts who still have guitars hanging on the walls of our studios, is this idea that just as I did, you happened upon this world of finance really starting from the start. Take us back to what you did to challenge and build your knowledge base.
1: Happened upon, that's a great way of putting it because that's how it feels. I started really about just under three years ago, just to go back a little bit, being from a radio and media production kind of background, my skill set seems perfect. For podcasting and I was looking around for the perfect podcast to build on. Like I most probably tried a music podcast, which got no listeners whatsoever. And then a couple of other podcasts I was involved with as well as doing podcast production on a couple of other podcasts. And I've been interested in investing for many years and I've invested in the Australian share market for many years, poorly, I might add. And then it just popped into my mind one day, the phrase shares for beginners and. That's when I started the podcast with that name. And I think it was just a very lucky choice to use that because if you put shares into your podcast player, the first thing that comes up is my podcast. So that really started that and getting people here in Australia used to the idea of this podcast. So when I started that and I was looking around for guests and it was very difficult to find guests because I had no idea really where to start looking. Very quickly, I found people gave you undue respect as a finance podcaster, even though, like I said, I haven't got any background in the finance industry and were very generous with their time and with their knowledge. And suddenly I became part of this network of people in the finance industry who were very willing and happy to come onto the podcast. I think part of what I was doing, which they responded to, was to cut through the jargon. So as soon as they started saying something like discounted cash flow or P-E ratio, I'd stop them, and we'd really just explore these concepts. I guess that's where I started. Now I've got six finance podcasts, of which one is Stocks for Beginners, which is the one that I figured, well, if I did Shares for Beginners in Australia, maybe internationally I can do Stocks for Beginners. And it seems to have gained some traction as well. And I'm not sure if it's because of this attitude that I've got or my laconic Aussie charm. But I think that, like you said, I'm learning. I'm using it as an opportunity to learn. And I think in your career, Lou, you learned a lot about personal finance from doing it as well. And this is what I'm finding, my whole investing style and my whole financial situation has changed completely by doing this podcast. And it's a great thing to be able to share with people and to be able to help other people get their financial act together.
0: That is fantastic. And I'm going to steal the phrase laconic Aussie charm and try to figure out some way to adopt it for a guy from Chicago, (laughs) although usually Chicago, it's like brute Chicago directness Mm -hmm. or something like that. Now, we also share something in common that we've leveraged our podcasts not only to learn more about the industry, but also to learn more about how we can build our financial fortune. So I would love it if you could walk our listeners through some of the things that you wish you knew when you started these podcasts, but that you have since incorporated into your investing style.
1: Well, the biggest thing is, and this is an old joke that I've used over and over again, so excuse me, but I don't think it's been heard here, is that when I first started this podcast, I didn't even know how to spell ETF. (laughs) And learning about ETFs has been the greatest single moment in my investing career and realizing that by just tracking an index, and I heard an interesting statistic the other day from a fund manager that I was interviewing. And that is every day that the stock market opens, there's a 54% chance that it's going to go up. When you look at the trajectory of stock markets over many, many decades, it's like dice that are loaded in your favor. And so moving to ETFs and changing my time horizon, they were the two biggest things. Whereas previously, I thought you had to be madly picking individual stocks Looking at those companies, and if you made 10%, that was great. But then what obviously happens is because your focus is so short term, you're suddenly accumulating all these losses that get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. Whereas that biggest thing is diversification via an ETF and putting out your time horizon for another five years and reinvest your dividends. As soon as your dividends come in, don't take them to go and think, oh, that's great. I'll go and go shopping, but just to reinvest so that you're building up and compounding over the years. Another one of my first guests, one of his great phrases that I've used is single stock shock. And this is where I was talking about diversification and ETFs, not knowing about those sort of things. But what he really warned about is that you get that shock. A single stock shock is one of the worst things that can happen to you, not only for your investing fund but for you psychologically as well because i guess this is another thing that's come from doing the podcast is thinking about psychology and how money really affects you and all of those things you know about behavioral finance and how you feel losses more than you feel gains and how continual losses Can really prey on your mind and then you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about losses and you think you could wake up next morning you're going to make up that loss and all these strange behaviors that we as animals are subject to i guess the dunning-kruger effect where you think that you're going to be a better stock picker than you're not so many things to talk about when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring
0: I'm just wondering why they changed the name from the Lou Carlozo effect to the Dunning-Kruger effect. (laughs) Because when I think about overconfidence, that is me. I remember Mm -hmm. being really hot on the stock plug power. And you looked at the curve, and it was going up astronomically. It fit all of the things that I like. It was a growth stock and a growth industry. And then Mm -hmm. the stock Plummeted 15% in one day. So this was both a single stock shock and a Dunning-Kruger effect. The words accounting problem came up. And mm-hmm. that is a very uncomfortable hair's breadth away from accounting irregularity. And I immediately pulled all of my money out of that stock at a loss mm-hmm. because there was my confidence. People who are overconfident in the EV sector Maybe they invested in Tesla, but maybe they invested in Nikola or Lordstown Motors, two companies that had corruption and shenanigans going on behind the scenes that deceived investors. It's very, very easy, as you know, to be humbled with all of this. Now, there is one way to protect yourself, which is diversification. I'm a huge fan of it. You grew to understand diversification in a pretty profound way. Take us there.
1: Okay, the Australian share market is dominated by large mining companies, large banks, some of the retailers and so forth. So when we're talking about the ASX 200, even if you buy an ASX 200 index ETF, first of all, you're missing out on international markets, you're missing out on Wall Street, you're missing out on the largest tech companies in the world so my diversification ideas and thoughts now and my investing also incorporate the us markets then it's the idea of asset allocation i didn't really think about asset allocation i mean here in australia we've got superannuation very similar to your 401ks in the united states and when you're looking at what your superannuation is invested in, you suddenly realize, well, okay, there's equities, there's local equities, there's international equities, there's property, and I didn't realize there's ways that investors, small retail investors can invest directly into property, which is turning out to be a fantastic thing. That's just another sidestep here. Stories like Amazon, what companies like Amazon are doing are actually increasing the value of commercial property exponentially. And then there's the bond markets. And I think gentlemen of a certain age, no people here (laughs) in particular that we're talking. Nobody I know. (laughs) Nobody that we know at all, but should consider bonds as well. I mean, I'd never knew about the 60-40 bond idea that bonds are things that are going to be a bulwark, be a buffer against equity market movements. Theoretically, I don't know about this completely impractical, but it's good to know that there are bond markets and that the bond markets are not only government bonds like US treasuries, but there's also corporate bonds and that you can generate an income in these low interest rate environments by carefully, I might add, carefully investing in corporate bonds. You don't want to be investing in corporate bonds that have got too high a rate of return in yield because that means you're taking on a lot of extra risk as well. But these are just some of the things that diversification has come to mean to me. Diversification is such a huge, huge topic. And one ETF is just a starting point in the journey towards proper diversification.
0: Absolutely. I could not have said it better. It's something that, as I think about my own learning curve, I have come to understand Sometimes the hard way. Now, this is traditionally a banking podcast. One thing that I thought about is a really nice overlap. Mm. It involves the fact that when investment advisors from banks go out and try to help their clients, they stress two things. One is to have strategy and a plan in back of you. And the other is to think in terms of a long-term horizon. You've really come to educate your listeners about these things.
1: Tell us why you have found them to be so important. It's the only way that you can ensure that your portfolio will grow. Because if the time horizon is long enough, you are going to come out ahead. The fund manager that I referred to before was talking about, if you'd bought an index fund Right at the top of the market just before the GFC and then held on for five years through all of those ructions, you would still come out ahead. It's important for people to understand that all this noise when markets go belly up, and I think this is something that people really have to understand, but we haven't had a bear market for so long, they don't understand what panic can be like and the fear that can be instilled through watching television and hearing all those news reports and the market goes down day after day after day, what it actually feels like. Part of this long-term thinking is understanding that at some point or another, you're going to go through this and you're going to have to steel yourself and hold your nerve just with the, the belief and knowledge that in a year or two, things are going to get better. They always get better.
0: No question about it. And I love Warren Buffett, by the way. I think he is both wise and funny, but he talks about the idea that when markets go down, it's like this. When the price of hamburgers go down, we sing "Hallelujah" in the Buffett household, <laughs> <You> know, because <laughs> he looks at that as a buying opportunity to the max. And likewise, mm. he stresses buy and hold, hold onto the stock. Don't do as so many people do, which is to sell low and buy high. And if you're listening to those news reports, if you're listening to all the nervous chatter, you're either going to think you're missing out on something or you better get rid of it. And that kind of knee-jerk reaction is based entirely on emotion and not intelligence. All we have to do is look at how markets work. And I could not have said it better than you, Phil. It's going to get better. It always gets better. That is so true. Now, totally different question, and I did not realize this until shortly before we got on the air. We have a lot in common. We have Italian ancestry. We have a love of music, a background in the arts, but Mm -hmm. I am a huge John Keats fan. I have been to his grave.
1: <laughs> oh, I, really? You've been there too in Rome, the Protestant cemetery? Yes.
0: And I've been to mm-hmm. the Spanish Steps house where he lived out his last days. And I also went to the house in Hampstead Heath where he did a lot of his writing. Mm-hmm. You know, most kids in college had posters of Bowie in their dorm rooms. And I had a David Bowie poster too, but I also had a picture of Keats. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I was more of a I was more of a Byron guy, but anyway, Byrons Christian.
0: Gr- you now Byron's great too. There's actually a really wonderful book on Byron that has just come out. Mm-hmm. You made a pilgrimage to John Keats's grave and I'd love to know what that was like for you.
1: You've been there. It's one of the most incredibly peaceful places to go. In a city that's full of so many treasures and so many beautiful moments to include in your life experience i think i went there to see john keats's grave but next to him was buried edward john trelawney who was one of those ne'er-do-wells that rode on Byron's coattails as well. As I said, I was a bit more of a Byron fan than a Keats fan. My posters were of (laughs) George Gordon Lord Byron. I think that was his full name. It's been a long time since I studied all that. That sounds about right. So it was also to see Edward John Trelawney's grave as well and to just get a little bit closer to Byron. You know, here in Australia, we're a long way from a lot of cultural institutions. We're a long way from where history actually happened. Our European colonization history is quite short. We have one of the longest living cultures on the planet with the First Nations people here. So to go to Europe and to make pilgrimages, to feel like you're close to these people is a very special feeling. I guess it's just one of those things you might understand as a teenager that the romantic poets as the first pop stars, let's face it, it just, it felt right. It felt good at the time.
0: It felt right. It felt good. That might as well be a fantastic descriptor for having you on this podcast, Phil. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thank you so much, Lou. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today.
0: Phil Muscatello is the creator and host of Stocks for Beginners. He is based in Sydney, Australia. You can look for Phil on LinkedIn. 3 Bullseys
1: Number 1 A single stock shock is one of the worst things that can happen to you, not only for your investing fund, but for you psychologically as well, because you feel losses more then you feel gains. Number two. Diversification is such a huge, huge topic. And one ETF is just a starting point in the journey towards proper diversification.
0: Number three.
1: We haven't had a bear market for so long. They don't understand what panic can be like and the fear that can be instilled through watching television and hearing all those news reports and part of this long-term thinking is understanding that at some point or another you're going to go through this just with the belief and knowledge that in a year or two things are going to get better and now lose views
0: On today's podcast, Phil Muscatello talked about the many, many things he learned about investment as he started his podcast, Stocks for Beginners. Here's something to think about. In the financial services industry, we are very much involved in helping people to invest, plan for their futures, and to do it in a very smart, savvy, and positive way that takes into account a long timeline. But let's face it, a lot of people really don't know these foundational truths, along with the truth of diversification, along with the truth of avoiding market timing at all costs, and many, many more. We have to look at the whole picture here, where sometimes banks and investment arms are so concerned about scoring customers, winning clients, blah, 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 We should take a step back and look at the real needs, especially the needs that potential clients don't even know that they're failing to meet. I think in the future, podcasters like Phil are going to be part of a larger movement within financial services that seeks to educate and help people to take control of their financial destinies. When we do that, we build trust. When we build trust... More new clients walk in the door that have heard about the good work you've done. And you can do it. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks to Banker Hire. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carloso. You can catch me on LinkedIn. And when I'm all done those Chicago dogs, I'll be linked out. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production
1: of NMD+, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road.